Thank you, choir, so very much for taking us right to the throne of God in worship this morning. I am delighted to be with you uh, during this time of transition. I'm honored to be with you. Your pastor, Pastor Fred, is one of my very dearest friends. We have been friends for many years. Uh, he reached out to me when God led him to make the decision uh, to retire. He reached out to several of his pastor friends and, and um, I told him, I said, Fred, the right thing is not always the easiest thing to do. I said, but if it's God's plan and God's will, it is the right thing for you. And uh, he prayed through it and God uh, showed him it was his will. And, um, and I, but then I told him, I said, now it's not going to be easy for you. I said, you invested your life in those people. You invested your life in, to First Baptist Church Blairsville. And you're going to wake up a couple of mornings and you're going to go, what have I done? I know because I was at a church for a very long time as well. Did the very same thing. And uh, I will be totally honest with you. For about six weeks, I could not drive past the church. When we would go out to eat or go somewhere, I would go a different route than normal. And finally, my wife said, why are we going this way? And then she stopped. She said, you can't drive past Hebron Church, can you? I said, no, I can't. And so you pray for him. Now, uh, it's going to be an exciting time. God's going to use, listen, God's not done using your pastor, I can tell you. Uh, he's going to stay very busy. Some of us who are his friends, we're going to make sure he stays busy. Uh, he'll be preaching and, and leading, and he'll be praying for you. But I want to thank you. I just want to take a moment this morning, and I want to thank you for the way you honored your pastor as he came to this time in his life. You, church, you did well. So thank you for being the church you are. Now, going forward, you say, how can we continue to honor our pastor? Well, let me give you two or three ways this morning. This is not part of the sermon. I'll, uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. But number one, pray for him and his family. Continue to pray for them. Pray for them as they enter this new phase and period of life. Pray for God's direction in this journey. Number two, remain faithful to God's church. I know your pastor preached the word of God. And he preached it with power. And in preaching God's word, he preached on the church. And he preached on faithfulness to the church. If you want to honor your pastor, and I know you do, remain faithful during this time of transition and as you enter this next uh, phase of ministry. Number three, pray for your search team. Pray for your pastor's search team. That's a big job. I know you realize how big a job that is. When you've had a long-tenured pastor... It's difficult for a search team as they seek the next man. Can I tell you something? God already knows who that person is. God already has that person uh, in his hand. And he may or probably doesn't know it at this time, but God's preparing him and his family, whoever it is, to come here and to lead you. So pray for your search team. Pray for the next pastor uh, and his family, whoever that will be. And pray, continue to pray, 
for people in your community, family and friends, who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, your pastor led you well to reach into this community. You had this past summer one of the largest vacation Bible schools you've had in, in years, and this is in the midst of a pandemic. You've done well, so continue in that So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to to be here. I'm committing to pray for you. Have been. I'm committing to pray for your pastor search team. Uh, And if I can help you in any way while I'm here, please let me know. It is amazing to me how many connections there are in First Blairsville to Hebron Baptist Church where I pastored in Decula, Georgia. Uh, Now I know where some of my folks moved off to when they left. They moved to the mountains and I don't blame them. And um, so I, I've reconnected with some folks and, and some family of some folks, and, and so that's awesome. Well, this morning, we are going to begin a series in Philippians, and while I'm here for the next couple of months, we're just going to look at the book of Philippians. I'm going to preach through it. Now, let me ask you to do something. Would you go home and read the book of Philippians? Now, it's not long. It's only four chapters. It's very encouraging. It's known as the book of joy. It's uplifting. So go home and read the book of Philippians and read it several times and ask God to begin to to speak to you his word into your heart as it pertains to this great book. Now let's get right into it this morning. uh, I'm going to go into this morning, just do a little background. You need to understand the historical setting for this this book in order to to apply the practical truths that are there. And then we're going to look at five practical truths this morning uh, for the church. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church. This book is a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul. You know Paul's story. Paul, uh, before becoming a follower of Christ, persecuted the church. His name then was Saul. He met Jesus on on the road to Damascus. Jesus changed his life. He saved him. He entered his life, and he called him to be a missionary. And so Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter uh, while in a Roman prison. He was in a Roman prison. Now, the, the, the series theme that we're going to follow is this. If you want to write this down, unchained. Unchained. And I take that from Paul's experience. It's very likely that while he was in the Roman prison, he was literally chained to Roman guards. He was literally chained to them. Now, let me ask you this. If you know anything about Paul and you know about his, his fervor and his, his, his commitment uh, to, to the gospel and, and his commitment to bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ, can you imagine being a lost Roman guard chained to the apostle Paul 24 hours a day? It was probably not a good day until you met his Jesus. And then it became a great day. So Paul was chained to a Roman guard. But I want you to hear me very carefully. Paul was chained physically, but he was not imprisoned by his circumstances. You see, you can't control your circumstances. If you want, a, if you want a statement that's going to summarize what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks, it is this. You cannot control your circumstances, but you can control your response to your circumstances. You can control your attitude 
<clears throat> Listen, you can't control your circumstances, but you can also be in a position where your circumstances cannot control you. They cannot dictate your life. And that's what we're going to talk about. How to, how to deal with circumstances that are not always the best that come to all of us. But yet do so in the power of God and do so without quitting. To do so while still trusting God and living life for him. That's what we're going to talk about. So as you begin to look at this letter, the first thing you see is that Paul was sold out to Jesus. It says Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to, to, to hear me. Uh, Paul was a mentor to young Timothy. And there's two letters to Timothy also that Paul wrote. And so Paul and Timothy are together. And uh, he, Paul writes this letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi. How did this church come to be? Well, Paul established it on his second missionary journey. Now, to the, we, our, our terminology has changed. We call it a mission trip. I think the last time I preached here, you were headed out on a mission trip that day. Somebody was headed out on a mission trip. This morning, we've been highly encouraged. Folks, do you realize the significance of over $40,000 given to Lottie Moon? You are placing missionaries on the field. You are planting churches in places in the world that do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ because of your faithfulness, there are going to be people in heaven that would not have been there otherwise. Folks, that's good news. That's good news. You see, you have a great reputation here in Blairsville, Georgia, as being a missional church, a church that is on mission for God. And so you can understand Paul that when he established his church, but you, you, you need to know how he got there. I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, this, this chapter, Acts 16. Because in Acts 16, you have the backstory. You have the backstory to the letter to the Philippians. Do you know why Paul was in Philippi in the first place? That had not been his plan. Paul's plan was to go somewhere else to plant churches. But then, in a dream, he hears a Macedonian man call out to him, will somebody come help us? Will somebody come help us? And Paul said, God, if that is your plan for my life, I will go there. And Paul goes to Philippi. Can I ask you, has God ever changed a plan in your life? Has he ever done something that was totally different from what you expected him to do? Maybe it was in your career, your education, your marriage. Have you ever looked back and said, thank you, Lord, for those I didn't marry? <laughs> you can tell me those stories after the service, all right? <laughs> but God changed your plan. He, 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 he did something, and at the time, you didn't understand what he was doing or why he was doing it, but now you see. Aren't you glad that God can see into the future? And aren't you glad you can't? <laughs> so... 
Paul goes to Philippi because of a plea for, for help. But 1 Thessalonians tells us, if you read that letter that Paul wrote to the Christians at Thessalonica, that while he was in Philippi, listen, he was shamefully treated. He wasn't treated well. You see, not only did Paul write Philippians from a jail, when he was in Philippi, he was thrown into jail. I, from the time I was a young pastor, I've heard pastors make this statement that when Paul went to a, to a town, he didn't look for the local Holiday Inn or Hampton Inn. He looked for the local jail because he was headed there. So while he was in Philippi, he was thrown into jail. He was shamefully treated, is what he says in his testimony to the Christians in Thessalonica. But go back to the verses we read. Look down at them. He says in these verses, I have great memories of you. He doesn't say, I have horrible memories of my experience in a Philippian jail. He says, I have great memories of the Philippian Christians. You see, here was a man who refused to allow his circumstances to dictate his attitude. He refused to allow it. So he writes a letter of joy to Philippi. From prison to a town where he'd been thrown into prison. But it's a letter of joy. Wow, isn't that incredible? Well, in this we have some reminders to the church. So uh, hold your Bibles open to Philippians. And I wanna share with you that not only in this passage, but in the entire book of Philippians, in the four chapters that make up this book, there are some reminders to the church. There's some reminders, and by the way, when I say the church, what I'm saying is it reminders you and me because we are the church, amen? This building is a tool, it's a facility. This pulpit is a tool, it's a facility. These chairs, these pews, they're tools, they're tools. And, I, and we have to be very, can I say something? Now, sometimes I get off on little tangents, okay? It's the, it's the preacher in me. And it's, it's the experience of having pastored uh, for many years. Let's be careful to not make the tool sacred, but to be sure it's always his word that's sacred. The tools are not sacred. They're just tools. Amen? This is sacred. So, some things to you and me, to the church that Paul says. Number one, and we find it right in the passage we read today. Attitude, gratitude, and I know you have a fill-in-the-blank uh, sheet there. Gratitude is the needed attitude. Gratitude is the needed attitude. The letter to the Philippians is basically a thank you letter. He starts off and he says to all the saints. So who are the saints? Now we use that word for special people. And so many people in my life when I was a pastor that were special, I, I leaned over and showed Derek a text that I got this morning. We have a couple from our church. In fact, they've stayed up in Helen a lot at uh, one of the campgrounds up there uh, since they retired. Uh, she was my secretary at one time. And, and uh, so George and Vicki uh, have left in their motorhome on, on Christmas Day, and they're touring the country for a year. Yeah, mm. A little jealous. So they're touring the country. But this morning, I get a text from him. 
Hey, pastor, I'm a little late, but I want you to know I'm praying for you and the church. He knows I'm here. I'm praying for you in the church this morning. And then he says, be careful driving across the mountain. He knows how I drive, okay? He's ridden with me. That's why he became a prayer warrior. He rode with me. Well, there's certain people that would say, boy, they're a saint. When I was a pastor, I had a lady in the church. Her name was Miss Berta. Miss Berta couldn't come to church after she reached a certain age because of illnesses. But we had three services on Sunday morning, and at one time, when we were in our real little building early, early on in the, in the late 70s, or I mean in the early 80s, we were in three Sunday mornings and two Sunday nights, and no, they were not the same service. Sunday night was different. But Miss Berta, all five services prayed for us. She prayed for us. She didn't just tell us she was praying for us, she really prayed for us. Listen, in my mind, that lady was a saint. But can I tell you something? The person who got on my nerves the most when I was a pastor, and that person will go unnamed because they probably come here now, but no, they don't. (laughs) But the person who got on my nerves the most, which I didn't have many of those, can I tell you, in God's eyes, if they were followers of Jesus, they were saints too? You see, a saint is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying is I'm writing to all the followers of Christ. Paul Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, a place where there were really no large problems. There's one small one that we'll get to, but not not no large problems, not like Corinth that had many problems. So what is he doing? He's writing a thank you letter. He's sending an encouraging note. Folks, never underestimate the value of an encouraging word. Amen? Now today we have so many means to do that. It may be a text like I got this morning. It could be an email or listen, novel idea. It could be an old-fashioned note on a piece of paper. I mean, you open junk mail and you open bills, how refreshing to open an envelope that has a note from someone that says, I care for you, I'm praying for you, I thank God for you every time you come to my mind. Folks, listen, don't forget to encourage one another, amen? Gratitude is a much needed attitude. Number two, the gospel is inclusive. The gospel is inclusive. We learned that in the letter to the Philippians. There is no chapter in the Bible that shows the inclusiveness of the gospel more than Acts chapter 16. Remember I told you that's that's the backstory. When Paul obeys God and goes to Philippi, he meets three vastly different people there. And if you want to go back and read this yourself, it would be great reading to tie into Philippians. The first one is a lady named Lydia. Lydia was a merchant. Lydia was a businesswoman. Lydia sold expensive cloth. The Bible calls her a seller of purple, a special dye that was extremely rare and extremely expensive. Lydia had an Asian background. And then Paul leaves that encounter where he led her to Christ. 
And he meets a young girl that is known as the slave girl, girl who is being used to make people money by telling fortunes. She was being mistreated. She had a Greek background. He led her to Christ. And then he gets thrown into prison because of his encounter with Lydia and the Greek girl, especially the Greek girl, because he took away the the charlatan's uh, ability to continue to make money unjustly. And so they throw him into prison, and now he's in prison, and at midnight, Paul and Silas, now Paul and Timothy were together when Paul wrote the letter. Paul and Silas were together when Paul planted the church. And Paul and Silas are thrown into prison, they're thrown into jail, and at midnight, rather than complaining about their circumstances, they're singing praises to God. You say, what were they singing? Well, I'm going to just put it in our generation. I think they were singing Amazing Grace. That just happens to be one of my favorite songs. I don't know what they were singing, but it was, it was elevating uh, the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit opened the prison doors. The prison, prison guard thought everyone had escaped. And the, and the penalty for allowing uh, prisoners to escape was uh, execution. And so he cries out. And Paul says, do, he was about to take his own life so the Romans wouldn't do it. Paul and Silas said, whoa, 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 don't do yourself any harm. We haven't gone anywhere. We're still here. He takes them to his house. He, they lead the jailer to Christ. They lead the jailer's entire family to Christ. And then they baptize all of them. Folks, that's real revival right there. Now, this man and his family had a Roman background. So you've got a lady with an Asian background. You've got a lady, a girl with a Greek background. You have a jailer and his family with a Roman background. And now they're all three together in the Philippian church. They're all together. They had nothing in common except Jesus. And that's the common denominator for all of us. Amen? Now, not only were they from different parts of the world, they were in different stratas in society. Lydia was from the top end of society. She was wealthy. We're told historically she was the equivalent to a merchant princess. The slave girl was at the bottom of society. She wasn't even recognized as a person. And the prison guard was middle class. But they sat together in the same service, studying God's word, serving the same Savior, and being an influence to the same community. Folks, let me tell you something. Our churches ought to look like our community. Amen? We ought to look like the people who are around us. And a person who is very wealthy should be able to sit on the same pew with a person who's very poor, a person who is well-educated and uneducated, a person who is well-known and a person who nobody knows should be able to worship together, study God's word together, serve together, because really when it comes down to it, the only thing that matters is that we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's the Philippian church. The gospel's inclusive. No one's left out. Number three... The Christian citizenship is in heaven. You say, Where do you, what does that have to do with the letter to the Philippian Christians? Well, Philippi was a Roman colony. There is no place where people were more proud of being Roman citizens than in Roman colonies. 
If you met someone from Philippi, they would say, yes, I live in Philippi, and you do know we're a colony of Rome. They were very proud of that. But you know what they really learned? What they learned? That what mattered more than being a Roman colony, being a citizen of Rome, what really mattered was being a citizen of heaven. The Christian citizenship is in heaven. Now, hear me. Paul reminds the Christians at Philippi they must never forget that they were first Christians. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. He says that. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. By the way, while I'm here, if you're going to tweet out what I say, wait till you hear all of it. You know, there was a time when the pastor said something in the pulpit, you had to at least get home and pick up the phone, call somebody and tell them what he said. Now I'm saying, before I get done, you can tell the world. (laughs) So hear it all. I am proud to live in America. I didn't have a choice. I was born here. And I'm grateful to God. don't know why he allowed me, but I'm glad. I, I believe in our country. When I was a pastor, we had many patriotic services. I can remember sitting on the platform one Sunday morning and, and like you've got here, there were little X's there, but it wasn't, they'd never been there. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. It wasn't for someone to stand and sing. So the camera would hit them because we didn't have cameras back then. I'm going, what in the world? And I happened to look up and there are four guys, it was July 4th weekend, there are four military guys sitting up in the top of our church, which was a very high ceiling like this one. And one of them was looking at me and doing this, like you might want to move over. And then on a particular song, all four of them repelled into the worship center. I mean, our people were throwing babies and Bibles in the air, okay? I believe in America. But folks, let me tell you something. We better be very careful not to be arrogant about the place we live. Because what really matters, and what's going to matter 100 years from today is not that we lived in America. What's going to matter 100 years from today is that you know Jesus and you're going to be in heaven. And so the church needs to remember that. Number four, we also learn that trials are real. We'll learn that in Philippians. Philippians is a letter to encourage Christians in the trials that they're going through. It is a reminder that although we cannot control our circumstances, we do not have to be controlled by them. It is a reminder that in our darkest day, God is still there. You know, it's overcast outside this morning. It was raining when I came in. It's a little dark and dreary. But did you know up above those clouds, the sun is still shining brightly? One of the thrills I've had in flying is uh, when you would leave Atlanta Airport and it'd be a day like today and you'd get up in the midst of that fog and clouds and you'd pray, I sure hope this pilot knows what he's doing. But then you'd break through and there's the sun in all of its glory. Folks, let me tell you something. The Son of God is still on the throne in our darkest days. God is still real. As I've told every church where I've served between pastors, God knows you need a pastor. 
God knows who that person is and God's gonna bring him here. All we have to do is trust God, amen? Just trust him and wait on his timing. Number five, and I'm done. Unity is vital to the mission of the church. Unity is vital to the mission of the church. As I said, Philippi didn't have any major problems, but we're going to read later. There were two women in the church who had quarreled with one another and were endangering the peace within the church. Paul appeals to the, to the leaders to maintain unity. Now, folks, listen. Satan loves more than to divide a church over trivial things. I've been in this a long time. I grew up in church. Actually, we grew up in a mission church in South Georgia where I am from. My mom and dad were charter members of this church. So I've seen it all. And it amazes me when churches, the people in those churches get at odds with each other over things that really don't even matter. Now, you are a very united church. And my plea to you is, never allow, allow the trivial to triumph over what's most important. Amen? Let Jesus be the main thing and keep him as the only thing that really matters. Well, you kind of have a glimpse of where we're going. It's going to be a fun journey. I love Philippians, as I said. We're going to have fun together. Let's allow God to speak to us through this great book. Would you bow with me in prayer? Let me ask you this morning as you're praying, what is it that God has said to you today? Maybe you're joining us online. Or you're here in the worship center. But God has been speaking to you. Maybe today, like Lydia, or the young girl, or the Roman soldier, God has been speaking to you that your need is Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm telling you, God loves you. Jesus died for you, and today you can receive him into your life. In just a moment, we're going to stand, and pastors from our church will be standing right here in front of this pulpit area. And I'm inviting you, if you're in the room, to come to one of the pastors and say, Pastor, today I want to give my life to Christ. If you're online, you reach out to us. Email us. Call the church. Let us help you to know Jesus. Maybe today you say, Larry, I'm, I'm here on campus, and I, I know it may sound strange, but even without a pastor, God's leading me to join this church. Well, listen, you come. Come be a part of the, the, the process of the transition into the future. Or maybe today you want to come and pray. Maybe there's someone you want to pray for. Someone that maybe is going through a tough time or someone who needs Christ. Or you've got something in your life you want to pray over, a decision you need to make. You just come and kneel at this stage area, this, this altar area, and you pray. Let me lead us in prayer. We're going to stand and you respond as God speaks to you. Father, thank you today for your love. Thank you today for speaking to us through your scripture. And we pray that we will respond obediently. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would you stand? Would you come at this time?